Good morning. Good morning once again. I've enjoyed worshiping with you today. Uh, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Matthew 16. Matthew chapter 16, or turn on your phone or tablet, or borrow your neighbor's. Or... But uh, most of it will be on the screen once we eventually get there. We are in the seventh of our series uh, called Twisted. This is the second to last week. We're going to wrap it up uh, next Sunday, uh, right before we go into Thanksgiving. Uh, but I've enjoyed this series. I've gotten a lot out of it. Uh, I appreciate uh, your comments and the things that you have said and the suggestions. And several of you have uh, added things to the sermon because you made a comment. I thought, you know, that's pretty good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add that in there. And so I'm uh, appreciative uh, appreciative of that. Now, today's is, uh, it. we're actually going to cover some stuff that I, I covered uh, a few years ago, and I wanted to preach this uh, back in August, but something came up and I needed to, to just move it around, and I wasn't sure uh, when I would get to come back to it, but as I looked at it more, I realized that it sort of fits within the framework of, of twisted Scripture, because we're going to be looking at a, a misinterpretation and a mistranslation of a word in, in just a few minutes. But it's some stuff that I wanted us to talk about, and so I'm glad I'm able to, uh, to, get, to share this, uh, get to share this with you today. But for several weeks, we have been talking about misusing Scripture and the danger of misusing Scripture, and we've looked at several examples, and I'm not going to rehash all of those because... I have a lot of slides today, and for you note takers, this one's for you. This one's for you. Uh, this is the one I told you about a few weeks ago that I was going to preach, but I had to put it on the back burner. So this is it. This is for Debbie Spears today. Uh, it's just for her. Everybody, everybody else can zone out. This is for Debbie. I owe her a sermon. So, uh, but uh, anyway, we've been talking about the dangers of, of one-verse theology. And, you know, you could do all kinds of stuff. You come up with doctrines and you come up with all kinds of crazy schemes by pulling uh, things out of context. You know, if I wanted to, if I wanted to, I could go to the book of Job and look at the speeches by one of Job's friends, Elihu, and I could pull a verse there out of uh, chapter 32 where he blasts his elders. Okay? And if I was going to blast Tommy, and Jeffrey, and I really wanted to do it. That's a verse that I could use to do that, okay? But I'd be pulling that verse completely out of its context because, you know, he's, while he is blasting those guys, he himself is wrong in, in what he's trying to communicate to, to Job. And so we've got to be very careful about the verses we use and how we uh, go about them. Quick review, then we're going to get into it. The Bible was not written to us, but it is written for us. There's a lot of good stuff. Uh, we've done this one every week, so I want you to say this one really loud. Say it with me one time. Uh, the point number one is context is key. Context is key. How many of you, just show of hands, as you've read your Bible more, you've sort of thought about some of these things? Anybody? Are they? Good, great. That means that my series is working. Praise God for that, which means that it's the Holy Spirit and nothing to do with me whatsoever. Um, but I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that as we approach Scripture, we're looking at the whole of context. And I appreciate those of you uh, that have mentioned it as you've talked about communion. You've looked at the before and the after and all the different contexts. 
Uh, point number two was that misquoting Scripture contradicts the message. Week number three, we said that pulling Scripture out of context can cause us to miss the true message. And really, this one goes well with what we're talking about today as well. Point number four from week four was that misusing Scripture allows us to justify sinful behavior. Week number five, we said that taking Scripture out of context can lead to a misinterpretation of the text. And then last week, we said using Scripture out of context makes it a pretext. And the point that I want to make today is this, is that mistranslation can hinder a movement. And that probably doesn't make any sense right now, but hopefully in just a few minutes, it will make a a lot more sense. When I was in second grade, my dad came home with a go-kart. And, you know, we didn't have a place to ride it. We met at the church building. Had a huge parking lot great breezeway that went down from the hill and it wrapped around and then that wrapped all the way back around. So you had this great place to ride and then it opened up into a large parking lot. So it was a lot of fun. And so us uh, or our family and another family that also had a go-kart, we met uh, there at the building and we rode and we rode and we rode and uh, it was just great fun. And my dad was uh, telling me to to slow up. Uh, It was me and my brother Micah was with me coming in, and I'm not sure if my foot slipped or I panicked or something, but I, I hit the, the gas in, instead of the brake, and we hit, a, uh, we hit a parking block, and we launched through the air, and we crashed into the church building, okay? Crashed the go-kart into the church building. Now, the portion of the building that we hit was aluminum, so it could withstand that. I'm thankful that it was not brick. Uh, my brother's really thankful for that because he hit his eye on the steering wheel and got a laceration and had to go get straight jacketed and stitched up and, and, and all of that. But that's another time. We don't need to probably discuss that anymore. Um, but I hit the church building, okay? And I, I can tell you that uh, 32 years later, that dent is still there. It's about this big. And me and the other family are the only people that know the secret of that. Maybe they're not listening to the podcast. But that dent is still in that building because I saw it a few years ago when I had to go up there for a wedding. It is still there, and I remember it very vividly. But I also remember when I left that day, mom and dad, they took Micah on to the emergency room to get, get stitched up, and I rode home with this other family. And I, you know, I was upset because my brother was hurt, but at the same time, I remember thinking, I, I hurt the church. I, I put a dent in, I put a dent in the church, and I, so I sort of had that, uh, I sort of had that in mind. And that, that's kind of what we want to, uh, we want to talk about for just a few minutes today as we, uh, as we move through this text and in, uh, in Matthew chapter 16. Um, just to, to set up the context, in Matthew 16, Jesus is coming to his disciples and he is asking them, who, who do people say that I am? And they respond with uh, you know, John the Baptist, uh, Elijah, uh, uh, Jeremiah, one of the other prophets, and Jesus says, okay, that's good, but what about you? What do, what do you think? Who do you say I am? Right here in verse 15, 16, he asked him, who do you say that I am? And then Simon Peter answered, you 
are the Messiah. You are the Son of the living God. Do you believe those words? Those are great words, aren't they? You are the Messiah. You're the Son of the living God. These are the words that every um, person that wants to become a Christian confesses. You are the Messiah. You are the Son of the living God. Verse 17 says, And Jesus responded, Simon, son of Jonah, you are blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And then this is our verse that gives us some trouble. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the forces of Hades, the forces of Hades will not overpower it. Now then, this is a, a great passage of Scripture. And a lot of the stuff that I'm, I'm talking about today, it, uh, it, it's based on some stuff that Andy Stanley has written uh, in a book called Deep and Wide, where he kind of breaks some of this stuff down. And this is what he says about this passage. He says that every time, and, and think about this in our context right now. Think about this very moment. Every time we gather as believers to worship, we are a present-day fulfillment of Jesus' words 2,000 years ago. Isn't that awesome? Look around at one another. Smile. Wave. Pat your brother or your sister on the back. We are the present-day fulfillment of Jesus' words. We are giving validity to what Jesus said to Peter when he said, I'm going to build my church. And, and, and so that's, a, that's a, a beautiful, beautiful thing. Peter's declaration became the common ground and the compass for everything else that was to follow. This beautiful declaration. But something extraordinary happened. Something was communicated during, during this exchange, and it has to do with, with language, something that our English Bible translations miss, and it is the meaning of the term that is translated church. He says, I'm going to build my church on this rock. You see, we have this word here. It is, somebody can read that? All right, you have epsilon, you have kappa, you have kappa, you have lambda, you have eta, you have sigma, you have iota, and you have alpha. E-K-K-L-E-S-I-A is what that is in Greek. That word is ekklesia. Say that with me. Ekklesia. Ekklesia. That's what that word is. And when you read this in the Greek text, that's what it says. Ekklesia is a gathering of people that are called out for a specific purpose, okay? It is an assembly, okay? And so that's what, what Jesus is trying to, that's what Jesus is trying to communicate. The ecclesia never referred to a specific place or to, uh, you know, uh, like, a, like a building or a structure, okay? It only referred to a, a specific gathering. Does that make sense? Is, is everybody with me? So it really, it should read like this. And also I say that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my gathering or I'll build my assembly, the ecclesia, and the forces of Hades will not overpower it. 
and I'm going to suggest to you this morning that our word church really takes away the power of that verse. And I think you'll see it in just a few minutes. And that's why our point is that a mistranslation uh, uh, takes away from the, the power of, of the message. And we're going to see that in, in just a few minutes. And it not only takes away the power of the message, it can take away the power behind a movement. It can take the momentum, uh, it can take the momentum from it. Uh, Part of the problem, part of the problem is based on what, what Jesus said. Because you have Peter, and then you have this word rock. Okay? Peter in the Greek is, is Petros. You know what that means? Rock. So it kind of sounds like Jesus is saying, I also say to you that you are the rock, and on this rock I'll build my gathering. But that's a, that's a word play that, that Jesus is using. Okay, and what happens is, is that Peter ended up with a, with a status that I don't think he ever wanted. Okay, but when we pull that verse out of its context, it sort of sounds like that. But we have to look at the entire uh, context of, of what is being read, and we have to ask ourselves, well, what is the rock that Jesus is talking about? The rock is this right here. You are the Messiah the Son of the living God. That's the rock. Okay? That's the rock that Jesus is going to, to, to build His, His church on. When Jesus used the term ecclesia, His disciples understood Him to say that I'm going to build my own assembly of people and the foundation for this new assembly is Me. The confession that I am the Messiah. Okay, that's the rock. It's not Peter, it's what Peter said. Okay, that's what it is, and that's what's important. So we ask this question. So if the Greek word means gathering, why don't our English Bibles, why don't they just say gathering? Because wouldn't that make a lot more sense? That'd make it a, a lot easier, but the, the problem is they, they don't do this. But to understand this, we have to step away from the biblical narrative and we have to jump forward in history about 250 years or so to the year 313 A.D. in Rome where Emperor Constantine legalizes Christianity in the Roman Empire. And that sent shockwaves throughout the world. Because what do we know about Rome? Rome has hated Christians. Rome really doesn't like the Jews. And they really don't like Christians. And they've tried to stamp them out. You know, it wasn't the, it wasn't the, the, the Romans who had the idea of crucifying Jesus, but they're the ones that crucified him. Okay, so they're, they're, they're part of what took place on the day that Jesus was killed. But they don't like these Christians. And the reason why is that if you were a Roman citizen, you were supposed to say, Caesar is Lord. Okay, you were supposed to say that because they believed that the emperors were divine. 
and you were to say Caesar is Lord, but the Christians would not. They would not say Caesar is Lord. What did they say? Jesus is Lord. You see the danger that that puts them in? Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. You know, and you read about some of the things that, that happened to, to Christians. Now, we, we talk about being persecuted all the time. You know, somebody got on to me because I said something about my faith at work or, or whatever. We talk about being persecuted. Please. These Christians were persecuted. Okay? You read about the things that happened during the the reigns of, uh, of Nero and uh, uh, Domitian and, and Diocletian, where Christians were uh, you know, thrown into the arena, where they were torn to shreds by, by wild animals, where they were, were burned at the stake for their, their faith. And there's even stories of Nero taking Christians and, 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 and putting them on, on like a pike, covering them in, in, in tar, and then lighting them on fire, and then setting them as garden lanterns. Did you know that? Used Christians as, as garden lanterns. They hated the Christians. So when Emperor Constantine legalized, he actually legalizes all religions. One of those is Christianity. When he does this, it sends shockwaves throughout the Roman Empire. And then, you know what he does? He becomes a Christian. He becomes a follower of Christ. Well, the leader of the world is doing it, so guess what the people are going to do? They're going to follow him. And you have all of these Roman citizens who begin giving their life to Jesus. They become Christians. Well... Uh, you know, uh, time goes on, and the Romans, they, uh, the, the Romans that, that had money, those that were wealthy, they begin sort of erecting these, these buildings that were dedicated to worship. Okay, they would build these houses, these structures, where then they could go and they could gather to worship. And here's the thing, within a decade, Within a decade, the ecclesia ceased to be a movement. And it became a location. It ceased to be a movement and it became, it became a, a, a location. The Romans, they, they called these gathering places basilicas. You know, we're, we're familiar with that, St. Peter's Basilica. Okay, it's just a, just a, a house of, of worship is what it is. Uh, this spread, and it influenced German culture, and they were influenced by this, and so they began to use a word, and you see it up there on the screen in yellow, uh, that word is, is Kirka, and it's the same thing, it means house, it means place. Uh, the, world was, uh, the word was used to refer to any uh, ritual gathering place, whether, uh, whether it was Christian or pagan. The Germanic term became the most commonly used word to refer to the ecclesia of Jesus, and from it we get the English word church. It even kind of looks like that, doesn't it? I mean, look at it. You, you know, the, the first time I saw that word, I, I pronounced it kirch, okay? 
Uh, and I, I called George on the phone, or I showed him, and I said, look, I need you to tell me how to pronounce this word. And he's the one that gave me the, the correct pronunciation. He said, it's, it's kirka. But it looks like our English word, our English word, church. Now then, here's the problem. The majority of our English Bible translations, they're, they're, they're basically a word-for-word uh, translation from the Greek, okay? Uh, if you have a, um, uh, a New American Standard, um, if you have an um, uh, English Standard version, you know, those are going to be your, uh, your very literal translations, and, and sometimes they're kind of hard to read. Uh, sometimes it doesn't flow because we don't, have, we don't have that English word that they had in the Greek or, or the Hebrew or whatever it is, and so they just kind of throw something in there, okay? Well, then you've got other versions. You've got, like, your, your, uh, your New International Version. And it is uh, not always a word-for-word -word translation. This kind of a thought-for-thought -thought, uh, translation. Does that make sense? Uh, where we, we don't have the word, so let's just get the, the idea and the spirit of what the text is. Is, is trying to say. It's an interpretation of the text. And then, you know, the one that I use primarily is the, the Hallman uh, Christian Standard, and where it can be word for word, it's word for word, okay? Where we don't have the right words and they have to sort of explain what it's talking about, it, it becomes a, a thought for thought. Um, uh, the, the problem is, the problem is that with this, uh, in, in this text right here, the word that we have it's, it's, it's not just a, uh, a bad translation, it's a, it's a substitution, okay? And it's a bad substitution. So we have to ask ourselves, which one is right? Is it church? Or is it ecclesia? Do you see the difference? You can lock the doors of the kirka. Not so with the ecclesia of Jesus. Does that make sense? I mean, you can lock the doors of it. Okay, this, what we, live, what we have here, this is a beautiful facility. It's a beautiful building. But you can lock the doors to this. Okay? Yesterday at like 9.30, I came and I unlocked the door of the kirka, the church, the basilica, whatever you want to call it. I unlocked it so that it could be cleaned. Okay? Last night, I came and unlocked it again to turn on the heat so we weren't freezing to death this morning. Okay? And then as I left, guess what I did? I locked it back. Okay? That can be locked. But that, this, can't be locked. Okay? And it's, it, it's this, this is what, this, this is what Jesus, this is what Jesus had in, in mind. I think when he, when he said, on this rock I will build my church. This is what he had in mind. Not that.
okay? Um, as I was compiling this stuff, I was, I was interested to see how many translations, um, how, how they translated that verse. And so I got to look in, and I looked at something like um, 38 different Bible translations. And of those 38 versions, only one, only one got it even close to right. Okay? The, the word for words missed it. The thought for thoughts missed it. Even the message that is a, a paraphrase of the text missed it. The only one that got it right, or at least close to being right, was this obscure little Bible translation called the, the Tree of Life. The Tree of Life translation. And it says this, And I also tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my community, and the gates of Sheol, hell, will not overpower it. That's from the, the Tree of Life Bible. Uh, incidentally, that is the uh, version of the Bible that Messianic Jews use. And I, I didn't know that until recently uh, when I went. And I remember a few months ago when I told you I had lunch with a Messianic Jew? That's when I learned that this was, was their translation of the Scripture. They are the ones that, that got this verse right. Okay? They got it right that it is a, a community. It is a, a gathering. You see, and when we grasp that concept, when we grasp that concept, we will, we will cease to be a location and we will, we will become a, a movement again. Okay, and that's one of the things, uh, that's one of the things that I really love about Cornerstone is that we are not content to just all the time sit in here. Okay, that's why we, we call our... our outreach ministry, that's why we call it outside the walls, because we recognize that this is just a facility, it's just a structure. When we say we're going outside the walls, the, the understood part of, of that name is the church is going outside the walls. You know, that's what we do. We're going to take the church out of the, the meeting house, the kirka, the building, the church, okay? We're taking the ecclesia out of the church. Does that make sense? That's what we're doing. And that's what I, you know, that's what I love. Uh, I love that about Cornerstone. That we're willing to say, hey, look, we're going to close the doors and we're going to go out. We're going to go into the world with the message, with the love, with the hope, with the, the, the grace and the compassion of, of Jesus. And we're going to reach out to people. You know, and I can't tell you how many people uh, I have had ask me about our Outside the Walls project. They'll They'll see me or I'll, they'll send me a message on Facebook or something and they'll ask me, hey, what's this outside the walls thing that you, you talk about? And it gives me the opportunity to say, hey, this is where we close the doors and we, we go in the community. You know, and, and they're always excited about it. And, and others have started to implement things like this. And some churches have been doing this for years. Uh, but then there are others that have said to me, man, I wish, I wish we could do something like that at our church. But we just, we can't. We just we come and we sit and we sing and we, uh, we pray and we read the Bible and we hear a sermon and we take communion and then, and, and, and then, we, then we go home. Um, you know, people will ask us sometimes, people will ask us sometimes, you know, where is your church? Have you ever been asked that before? Where is your church? 
Uh, here, something funny to do now when they ask you that is just hand them a phone book. Say, they're in there. <laughs> See, when we, when we understand it the right way, you know, we, can, we can do that. Now, the, the word is what it is. It's the word that is used. It's the word that we have, church. But as long as we understand that church is not this structure, that church is us, then we'll that I think we're, we're getting it, okay? And so I've tried over the years, and I don't always do a good job with it, but I've tried over, over the last few years to be conscious of saying I'm, I'm going to church. Um, I've, I've tried to say, you know, I'm going to the church building or, or going to worship or, or, or something like that because I'm trying to be a little more uh, aware of it. Um, but when, uh, you know... Um, People ask where our church is, and you say, well, we meet at this location. But you know what? That's not the church. That's just where we meet. Sometimes we don't even meet there. Sometimes we meet outside the building. Sometimes we're here. We're, we're a people. We're a, we're a movement. And doesn't that have a whole lot more power to it? Doesn't that sound like something you'd rather be a part of than just come and sit in a building all the time and do nothing else? Doesn't that sound more like what Jesus is, is getting at? Okay, and, and, and I think it is too. So we ask, you know, what is the church? It is a movement of Jesus' followers, united in the belief that He is the Son of God, joining hands to share the love of Christ with a lost and a dying world. That's what I. That's what I think the church is. Now, that's that's my definition. There's, I'm, I'm sure there's more to it, and I'm sure there's stuff that, that that I have left out of there that others can better define. But I think that's sort of the, the nutshell uh, of what the church is. It is a movement of people that is supposed to go out and um, have an effect in the world. Okay, uh, To be salt and to, to be light, to have that preserving influence, to, uh, to, to shine light into, uh, into the, the darkness. Okay? But you see, it's, it's, it's here, and this, of course, that gets us, uh, here's, here's our verse one more time. I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church. When you read that from now on, you'll know. You'll know that that's not talking about a basilica. It's not talking about a kirka. It's talking about an assembly. Okay, it's the ecclesia, the people, the gathering, the, the called out. Okay, that's what that means. So when you read that verse, from now on, let that be your, your understanding of it. And that leads us back to our point. Mistranslation can hinder a movement. And I think we see that. That when the, the movement got located, it lost a lot of its power. And it stopped being so much of a movement. And so what our job is, is to make sure that we don't stay permanently located, but that we're out and we're doing things. Now then, that's not just corporately. That means us as individuals. You know, we have to be um, in, involved in people's lives and, and sharing Jesus with them and, 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 reaching, and, and reaching out to them. Okay? Um, I'm not, I don't think, I'm not the only one here who, who is excited about this church, right? Who else is excited about it? I mean, really excited about it. When you think about it, you... You know what the people are like. You love the people. You feel something about it. You've had visitors 
say to you when they come in and there's something different about it. Okay, for the majority, I think most of us can agree that there's, there's good stuff going on here. It's our job as the called out to go out and, and to try to, to bring others in. Okay? Um, you know, and I get asked a lot and I've read a lot on how you grow a church. And to be honest, I don't really think anybody has any idea, to be completely honest. Uh, and I'll be honest, I don't know that I know. Okay? But here's what I do know is that when, when people are excited, that draws other people. That's, that's what I do know. Okay? And, and maybe that's it. That we want to grow, we, we have to be excited. If we're excited, what will we do? We'll talk about it. If we are excited about it, we'll invite people. Okay, and, and that's maybe that's what we need to do. Make that our strategy. We are going to be excited about Jesus. We're going to be excited about His Word. We're going to be excited about uh, the assembly, and we want other people to come and be excited and to experience what, what, what hopefully most of us, hopefully all of us have have experienced. And maybe that's the way you go about it. I mean, there's all kinds of strategies. I'm sure some of them work. You know, I, I've never seen any that really work. But I do know that when somebody's excited, that sort of spreads. It sort of jumps on, on people. So we have to be the people that go and, and reach and share and just let them see the excitement. Just, you know, don't, you don't have to tell them anything. Just say, hey, just come see what we're about. Just come and see. And, you know, I, I think, anyway, I think you don't have to explain it too much up front. Just say, just come check us out. See what, see what it's about. And I, I think, I think, I may be wrong, but I think most people feel that when they come in here. Now, I don't know. Maybe, and if I'm wrong about that, tell me, because you know I am, I am prone to be, to be wrong. Um, but as we've looked at this verse, as we've looked at this passage of scripture, we see there's a lot more power in it when we look at, at really how it should be translated, okay? Um, not, not, not only that, let me, let me just make one more point, and then I'll stop. Um, Jesus said, you are Peter, and on this rock, the rock is the confession of Jesus as the Messiah, he says, I'll build my, my church, my assembly, and the forces of Hades will not overpower now then, let me make one final point. The forces of Hades can overpower a building. Right? I almost did with a goat. The forces of Hades cannot overpower a people and a movement that is united behind Jesus. We have to get back to being the movement. That's the power behind this text. We are a part of a, a movement of people. That's what we want to be, right? That's what we want to be. Now, uh, it, it's easy to get out of that, to not be a part of it, to sit on the sidelines. I've done all those things. Uh, it's easy to be crotchety and 
upset and all those things and some of that stuff, you know, you may have a point. But it's also easy to just sit there and think, well, I'm not, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to sit here. I just want to consume. You know, we've got a lot of consumer mentality in churches. I don't, you know, what's in it for me? What are you going to do for me? I don't get anything out of worship. You know, my, my common response to that is always, what are you bringing to worship? What are you putting in? We're not here to worship you. <laughs> we're here to worship God. You know, it, it's not here. I mean, you'll be filled up by that, but we're not here to worship you. You're not here to worship me. We're here to worship God. That's why we gather here, is to worship God. Okay, that's, that's what it is. All right, this sermon could keep going. I've got to stop. Um, the confession is that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Son of the living God. Based on that, everything else is followed. That's, you know, that's the bedrock. That's the ground layer, is that Jesus is the Messiah. Okay, he's the cornerstone, you know, our, our namesake. Okay, um, Jesus died for us so that we could go to heaven. If you've never given your life to Jesus, do that today. Make this same confession that, that, that Peter made, that Jesus is the Son of God, be baptized into his name. Become a part of the ecclesia, the assembly, the called out, the gathering the movement, and then join us. If you got something that you're struggling with, if you got something that's, that's on your mind, you need some prayers for, if it's a sin that you need to confess, uh, you can do that as well. Why don't you come while we stand and while we sing? When people...